top of the inning to you. Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love baseball and if you love Ireland, stay tuned for a discussion of all things Irish baseball. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. On today's show, I'll be joined by Keen Manning of Waterford, Ireland. Manning put in a lot of research to write an article about baseball in Waterford and Dublin in the 1950s and 60s. This is an incredible story that you won't want to miss. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. For more Irish and Irish American baseball history, visit irishbaseball.org. Here's Keen Manning. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks, Rick. Thank you for having me. I know you, um, you kind of uh, you had a fair journey as well to <laughs> put in before uh, before chatting. Yes, I got stuck in a ton of traffic on the way to meet up with Keen, and I'm happy that I made it and everything was good, but yet we are ready to go. And the first thing I want to discuss with you today is this article that you wrote recently about baseball in Waterford, your hometown, and Dublin in the 1950s and 60s. So if you could give me a little background on that article and some of the things you found out while researching it. It was a pure fluke that I came across it in the first place because um, I do a lot of um, sort of family history research on the site. And uh, we have two local papers here in Waterford, uh, the Monster Express and the Waterford News and Star. And uh, I just happened to come across uh, the Monster Express with this wonderful cover uh, a photograph with maybe six boys and an older gentleman and it says boys baseball team in Tremor and immediately it kind of gets sort of so many questions reeling around your head to try and find out more uh, so this would have been from around kind of 1958 and it just progressively snowballed from then it was supposed to be an 800 word article for uh, Ireland's own magazine which is a popular magazine uh, in Ireland, uh, sort of, when I say 20,000 uh, circulation weekly, that's probably very small for America, but uh, it's pretty big for Ireland, uh, considering the way print media is going. And then it escalated, I think in the end, it became like a 10,000 word uh, academic article for a history journal. And uh, yeah, just to detail uh, the story of Clive Butterworth, an English man in Ireland, and how he created this club out of originally it was six boys that played a game of uh, one old cat uh, on Tramore Strand which is really this kind of scenic beach um, about 20 minutes from Waterford City so Tramore comes from the Irish Travor, uh, which means big beach because we're very literal uh, with the way we describe things in Ireland and uh, they essentially had a shovel they used a shovel handle as a bat and for the bases, then they're jumpers. And um, I think it was just this group, Clive's son, uh, Simon Butterworth, you know, yourself with kids and stuff, uh, trying to keep them amused during the summer. And uh, you obviously saw that this group from the estate they were living in were interested in pursuing it more. Um, they were kind of inspired by the film uh, Damn Yankees. And progressively each year it built this lovely organic momentum that um, this collection of boys would come back each summer. And then it became kind of more formal. So you had the Tramore Baseball Club and there was a local league and the names were of the two teams, uh, 
kind of came from the streets of Tremor. So you had Pierre View Pirates and Breuer Wildcats, who are probably not as famous as the Red Sox or uh, the Yankees. Uh, but for a couple of summers in Tremor and Water, it captured everyone's imagination. Um, so from 1950s, having six boys playing on the beach, you had 40 youths, 40 players uh, playing the game. And um, there's uh, an interesting figure who becomes involved, a man called uh, William Billy Barry. Um, so League of Ireland soccer in Ireland would have been much bigger uh, than it is now. Uh, so Billy Barry was kind of the superstar uh, in water at the time. Um, I'm trying to describe him in a nice way, but he was a very tough centre-back. Uh, <laughs> I know he kind of had that look of like a sort of his hair was receding probably because of the amount of leather ball he had headed uh, over the years. Uh, but he was quite a stylish footballer as well from what people say, or soccer player. He actually played for Ireland at the Olympics in 1948. Um, so any soccer fans would know uh, Manchester United. Uh, there's a famous Irish player called Jackie Carey who uh, managed the team with Billy Barry. So um, he becomes involved uh, through Clive Butterworth. They both work for this company called Tire Souls, which does what it says on the tin. Um, and uh, basically invest a lot of their free time in developing these teams. Uh, so you have the Tremor Sea Lions and the Waters Walruses, which um, in an Irish accent probably doesn't have the same uh, appeal as it would in an American accent. And uh, they're very bold in their promotion as well. One of the players uh, was the son of the editor of the Monster Express, the local paper. Uh, so they... Um, promote a lot of it, um, trying to get new people involved, the the actual play of the games. And uh, they say the national championships uh, in 1961. And uh, it's it's interesting as well from the American culture kind of come to Ireland. Um, like historically, the 50s and 40 didn't have the, the manpower or the, the wherewithal to actually get involved. Uh, so we're neutral on the side of the Allies, essentially. Uh, neutral on the side of Britain and America and um, even historically um, when the emergency was called um, it wasn't ended until the 70s because when the war ended uh, the politicians in Ireland forgot to end the emergency legislation so we were still in this kind of splendid American TV films music and um, I think what happens in Tremor and Waterford is kind of an offshoot of that culture um, impacting on like the population of Tremor at that time was probably a few thousand putting it at a, a very um, sort of enthusiastic estimate there uh, Watford City then as well as probably in sort of the 20 to 30 thousands at that stage um, so it's, it's the idea of just this small group coming together and uh, even at the time uh, they actually visit Dublin. Uh, they go to a place called Shelburne Park, which is, or it was, a really famous Greyhound Stadium, Greyhound Racetrack. And uh, there's a, a demonstration put on by uh, the American Air Force. And uh, they have a special message recorded by Danny Kay. And even though the commentary of the exhibition that day doesn't garner much attention, the fact that this group from Tremor and Watford come up 
kind of gets the attention of the American uh, forces and they kindly gift uh, Clive Baudelaire and Bill Barry uh, equipment uh, for about three teams. So I was wondering, as they're putting together these leagues and playing these games, do we know how at the beginning they found out about the rules of baseball? Did they just sort of try to adapt what they thought baseball looked like or were they finding real information they probably had the best mentor possible in the sense of uh clive butterworth actually worked in north america and was involved with some semi-professional teams over a number of summers so i think if there was any man that probably knew the the rules to the i's dotted and the t's crossed it would have been him um, so okay, in Ireland they moved from Tremor Strand to the beach to there's a soccer club in the area uh, called Tramore AFC and they have a ground called Grand Park and they then subsequently moved from Grand Park uh, to the Tramore race course so they have a specifically designed uh, diamond matching the American standard and dimensions and uh, yeah, it's just, it's very much this kind of organic process in hand. I'm sure there were slight adaptions uh, that they might only do four innings sometimes rather than the regulation. Um, but definitely with Butterworth, um, even he was in contact with a forest uh, in the Netherlands uh, who was involved in a milk powder company that was looking to establish itself in Ireland. And they arranged for film from uh, the World Series uh, in the early 60s uh, to be shown in both Waterford City Library, which is um, actually originally was established by uh, Andrew Carnegie. Uh, So we have to thank all of America for that as well. And uh, yet they would have used it for uh, demonstration purposes. And then even with Shelburne Park, there was an educational element to that in the sense that John Gay, who was uh, an assistant director of athletics uh, for the third American Air Force in Europe, uh, decided that he would actually visit Tremor and uh, give a demonstration in, I believe, probably July 1962. So 12 months later, he this big, it's, it's like kind of John Wayne came to Tremor. He's like this six foot six man. And uh, even there's a wonderful picture of him showing pitching with one of the kids, uh, David Kenny. And uh, I'd say the boy's head would have fit in John Gay's hand. He's just an absolute beast. The power of it is the fact that you even notice with the lockdowns that you tend to kind of look back the way and sort of look back at childhood. And I think that's what really the interesting thing is that I found since kind of had articles published in the Monster Express itself and in Ireland's own and the uh, the day she's article that people are saying, oh, yeah, I remember my friend from school was involved in that. And they're such kind of weird anecdotes as well, as in people are going to this baseball game in Welsh Park in September 62, which was very significant. And uh, they're sort of watching this game and not necessarily familiar with what's going on, which I could imagine it's like trying to learn a foreign language without <laughs> having any precepts or, or tenants to, to speak in it. Do you think that the game of rounders made it a little easier for people to understand what was happening? Because at least there are some similarities in the two sports. Yeah, like even 
I, I thought, which was quite genius with that game in 62 in, uh, it's spelled Walsh Park, W-A-L-S-H, but in um, our local accent, we call it Welsh, Welsh Park, which is a Gaelic Games ground. Um, so it was uh, arranged with, as part of, we had this festival here called the Festival of Light Opera, which was a very big um, arts competition uh, back in the day. And uh, they actually had commentary throughout. So they set up a tannoy and um, this sergeant, uh, Pettengrill, sort of went through the play-by-play. Um, so I think even if people weren't necessarily aware of the rules and regulations, I think sort of the athletic sensibilities to it fits in with a lot of, be it rounders or even hurling, uh, which you probably know of as well, uh, the idea of catching a ball and striking and uh, just the athletic pursuit, I think, would have caught everyone's attention as well. Even just the exotic nature of it. Like, as I said, Waterford City is still very small, as in our population is only about 55,000 now, uh, which, you know, probably to a lot of your listeners, you know, how could you call that a city? It's probably a small town or village. Um that you have these 40 uh, American airmen come to Waterford in September 62 and they stay at the local hotel, uh, the Terra Hotel, and they, the teams are the Bryce Norton Broncos and the Alkenberry Spartans, uh, which you can imagine in uh, an Irish lilt is not the easiest uh, way to get your tongue around either. And uh, yeah, just... The, it's just exciting, you know, and to think that it's all from the effort of two people and a gang of kids. Because um, Ireland itself would have been seen as very conservative, very uh, backward uh, in its outlook, somewhat isolationist. Um, like even Welsh Park, uh, the GEA, the Gaelic Athletic Association, which govern hurling and Gaelic football and rounders in, in this country. Uh, would have had a rule called Rule 27, which is known uh, by two words, the ban. Uh, so it forbade people, members of the GA, from playing soccer, cricket, rugby. Um, you couldn't have certain types of dances on in GA clubs. Uh, God forbid that it would cause um, some form of arousal and a baby boom in the population. Um, there were even vigilance committees. So even just to give sort of a flavour uh, of what a vigilance committee was. Each club had to set up a group that would have to monitor uh, the social activities of their players. So you think these are all amateur players that would probably maybe train once or twice a week. Uh, in the 1940s, there was a famous uh, Limerick man, Mick Mackey. He'd be kind of like the Babe Ruth of hurling, this legendary figure. And uh, Mick Mackey, uh, being from Limerick, was also interested in rugby and was actually caught attending a rugby match. And this put the GEA in a very awkward position that do we ban uh, probably the most popular player in the sport at the time? Or do we roll back and be seen to sort of show a blind eye? And uh, they find an Irish solution to an Irish problem. And they asked Mick Mackey to um, go on a vigilance committee so he could attend rugby matches still while also monitoring and get sent back to them who was also at the games. Um, so the fact that a baseball game 
was held in a GA ground with the American and British ambassador in attendance is pretty remarkable. Two of the reasons given, to throw another Irish word at you, a journalist who went by the name uh, Daishok or Daysok. So where I come from, there used to be this ancient tribe called the Daisha. We kind of use it for everything, for team names, Daisha. And uh, Daysok uh, put forward the point that this exhibition uh, with the Broncos and the Spartans was, first of all, part of the Light Opera Festival and to raise money for UNICEF. So it was for a good cause. Uh, secondly, uh, baseball is not put down as a sport that couldn't be played under Rule 27. So you could say the fact that it wasn't British meant it could be played. And thirdly, uh, my favourite uh, comment in the article uh, was that it was kind of a quid pro quo. It was good for Ireland and it was good for us. But he clarifies that by saying it gave the American, these strong, able American men, a break from the British for a weekend. And we got a bit of courage and raised some money for charity. So I, I'm not really sure if you could use that today, but that's what was used in uh, 1962. So I know that you mentioned some of these rules where Irish people weren't allowed, but also a large part didn't want to take part in British games. And I know our founder of the Irish American Baseball Society, John Fitzgerald, did the movie The Emerald Diamond about baseball in Ireland. And he had a special segment that wasn't part of the movie, but that came as a DVD extra. And it was talking about in Northern Ireland, in Belfast, there were some baseball teams where Catholics and Protestants could then play on the same team. They could compete against each other because this wasn't an Irish sport. This wasn't an English sport. This was an American sport that could appeal to people from both sides, and it didn't feel like either side had ownership of the sport. Are you sort of saying that's kind of why they were allowed to do this baseball game was because maybe it wasn't an Irish sport, but it wasn't a British yeah, sport. That's that's it exactly. Quite quite simply, it's the fact that it wasn't British. Uh, like even to go back into history again, we had a, a disastrous economic war with Britain in the 30s. And the famous phrase of the day was, burn everything British by their coal. Uh, so you could apply the sort of same metric to Gaelic Ireland, even though soccer was quite popular in the city I'm from because there was a strong British army presence up until Irish independence that I think as you were alluding to there was very significant then during the Second World War uh, particularly with having a lot of US uh, servicemen and personnel uh, in Northern Ireland uh, stationed in places like Belfast, uh, Derry um, like even there's some fascinating uh, newspaper reports of uh, baseball matches at Raven Hill which would be the home of Ulster Rugby, which would be sort of Unionist Protestant supporters. Um, uh, they, they have a wonderful, as you go into modern Raven Hill, they have this archway like the Arc de Triomphe, but it's commemorative to the First World War and the Second World War, which is not something you would see in a Gaelic Games ground uh, across uh, the Republic of Ireland. Um, and I think probably baseball, just thinking out loud here, probably showed a pathway 
with the view to the Good Friday Agreement in 1998, and obviously there was a big emphasis to look at a sport that could unite both communities, uh, Protestant and Catholic, and I know they went with ice hockey uh, with the Belfast Giants, but I think a lot of that has to come from, like you were saying there a few moments ago, the experience that baseball had in actually not being indicative of demonstrating whether you were Catholic or uh, or Protestant or whether you were a nationalist or or a unionist because even I was in East Belfast there uh, have you ever been? I have not yet no. Belfast is fantastic. The city centre is like this really pleasant modern city but East Belfast would be traditional unionist Protestant it's the other side of the famous Samson and Goliath cranes for that are connected to the Harland and Wolf shipyard where the Titanic was built. But as you go into East Belfast and you go to a ground called the Oval, uh, which would be the, the home of Glen Torn, uh, which would be a Protestant uh, Unionist uh, team. Um, you see Union Jacks and red, white and blue and everything. And it can be slightly intimidating if you have an accent from the South. Um, <laughs> Keen, this has been such a great conversation. I really appreciate having you on the show. No, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. And sure, hopefully we'll get you over here for uh, a baseball game soon. That was Keen Manning from Waterford, Ireland, on episode 41 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. You've been listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org. And remember, there's no...